1: Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino.
2: Hey, thanks for tuning into my podcast. This is a special podcast we put together for you to enjoy on Sunday and the weekend here. Features some of the best interviews we did on the radio show with some great guests you may have missed. Comes out daily. You can always check out my radio show, radio stations across the country and on Fox Nation. You can hear these interviews live during the week. Check them out. To find out where you can hear the Dan Bongino Show, go to bongino.com and just click on Station Finder. We've got three great interviews today. But before we get to the first one, let me get to one of our sponsors that we love. We appreciate your time. If you're looking for a firearm that's easy to transport, you got to check out the U.S. Survival Rifle from Henry Repeating Arms. It's a portable rifle you can put together and take apart in a few minutes. It's HenryUSA.com, and be sure to order a free catalog. They'll send it with free decals and a list of dealers in your area. That's HenryUSA.com for a free catalog and decals and to see the Henry U.S. Survival Rifle. First up today is an interview with Rick Harrison from one of my favorite shows in the History Channel, Pawn Stars. Pawn, P-A-W-N. We talked with Rick about his best and worst deals and what goes on behind the scenes. It's a great interview, one of my favorites. Check this out. Yeah, here he is, all right. I want to welcome to the show a guy I've become a big fan of. I am addicted to the show, Pawn Stars on the History Channel. Rick Harrison. Rick, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Rick, listen, I am uh, seriously addicted to the show uh, for a couple of reasons. One, you guys are just really entertaining to watch but second i'm not kidding when i say this it's it's a hugely educational show i mean when you're done with the show and people come in with these items they want to pawn or sell um, old guns comic books I, I mean everything these antiquities i feel like i actually learned something on your show you guys do a great job
1: um, i try to do that all the time i mean like uh yeah i think that's one of the reasons why it's just so successful i mean um you know, people love to learn history. They just don't like to learn it from a professor. They like to learn it from their uncle and laugh a little bit. <laughs>
2: that's a, that's a great point. It is. It's entered. You make it fun. Um, there's always too the suspense. You know. Uh, b- before I get to that, I've been dying to ask this. We're talking to Rick Harrison. Uh, he he runs Gold and Silver Pawn uh, the Pawn Shop, and uh, he's a the, the star with Chumley and others in uh, of Pawn Stars. How did it all start? Rick, I mean, did did History Channel just call you one day and say, hey, listen, you know, we were in your pawn shop, and we think it's a really cool place, and we want to put you on TV? Like, how did this all start?
1: I mean, for lack of a better term, I was always a media whore.
2: Uh, <laughs> I mean At least every you're honest. I got
1: free press it was good for business so uh, right. like I had PBS do a documentary on me um, I'd always put my Super Bowl rings on eBay right before the Super Bowl so people would be calling me up uh, <laughs> reporters would be calling me up i get some news articles on it so like uh, right. 17 years ago I'm thinking like hey if, um, if I get one of these reality shows get a season or two it would be really good for business so I pitched it for four years and finally got out of the air
2: the website folks if you want to check it out is gspawn.com. we're talking to Rick Harrison uh a uh, host of Pawn Stars and it is a great show. I love the suspense portion of it Rick. People bring stuff in and I uh, listen, you how your body of knowledge about this stuff, how you've kept it all in your head. I don't you seem to know a little bit about everything. But they come in with everything from sneakers to stuff And there's always that suspense. Is it real? Is it not? Especially when it comes to autographs or things. Do you get that a lot where people bring stuff in and they think it's real? They think it's a big payday? I mean, is it 50% or more people where stuff is just fake? Especially, let me leave it one specific, especially when it comes to autographs and stuff, which you know is an area can be rife with fraud. Are they frequently disappointed to learn, hey, that's not real?
1: Oh, uh, like with autographs, 90% of the time they're fake. I I mean, it's like... A girl would go to a concert, then there's like the roadie there on the side of the stage, and like, um, if they want to get something signed. I'll bring it back stage to the stage and get signed for you, you know. And he goes <laughs> around the corner and signs it.
2: Yeah, he you signs know, it um, himself,
1: right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it's just uh, uh it, it happens all the time. I mean, like uh, the guy was in the shop yesterday and he's got a a, a land land a, a deed to, for um, some property that was written up in 1790 and um right. he thinks it's worth a fortune i'm going like no one throws away a deed to a house <laughs>
3: <laughs> right.
1: there's, you a can... zillion, there's a gazillion of these things yeah Do you... it was just something someone threw in the piles and no one buys these
2: yeah I, you know I, in that in the business you're in we're talking to rick harrison from pawn stars here you know i have a, I'm, I'm friendly with a lot of people who are ffls and firearm dealers. And in that type of business, you really have to get good quickly at reading people. And, you know, my prior line of work, I did this whole, you know, secret service thing. And it was we had to be good at that, too. I mean, you get thousands of threats. You had to be good at quickly determining what was a real threat and what wasn't. Or you'll be out all day investigating a bunch of nonsense. But do you find yourself over time that some of your employees are just better at this? That they're just good at spotting people who are, you know, trying to be scammers right away. Guys who just get it from doing it over and over again. They just have a knack for this? Um yeah. I mean
1: I I got a lot of good people who work for me for a very long time. And it's just uh and you know, I mean, quite honestly, ninety percent of the people are not trying to scam you, it's just uh, um, it was like, it's like the telephone game you played in kindergarten. You know what I mean? The story came down through the family for the past 80 years, and their item just got better and better and better and better. So when they bring in Grandma's diamond ring that was supposed to be the perfect diamond, I said, no, it's a terrible diamond. Grandpa was cheap. They get mad at me.
2: <laughs> I can imagine that probably disrupts their whole worldview. They've held this forever. We're talking to Rick Harrison. Rick, when you're in the shop... How do you prevent people? I assume they have a team on there, the History Channel. I mean, if I were in there... Listen, I love the show. I, I'm a fanboy of it. I'm not trying to hide it. I enjoy when when uh, my producer Jim said they had you on the show, I was stoked I, I, because I, I'm really you could probably tell by my uh, the tone. I'm more of a fan than anything. But how do you keep people in the shop from, you know, mugging for the camera and just making it look weird? I mean, I know that's what I would do. I would be the guy creeping in the back of the shot like waving. Do they have people telling everyone like folks just get out of the way, do your thing, stop mugging for the camera?
1: Uh, we seriously limit the amount of people in the shop when, when we film, and then we explain to them really quickly: you bug for the camera, you're not going to be on television; you're going to be kicked out of the store. You know, so like, <laughs> this is your chance to be on Pawn Stars. Don't blow it,
2: Jim. It's over, producer Jim. It's over. That's, that'd be me. That would be me. I would be in the store in the background waving. I would. Yeah, I, I just I yeah, love and the and show, I, and
1: like just so you know, the camera's got laser beams in, in it. If you look into it, you'll go blind. <laughs>
2: <laughs> does, does that work? <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: yeah, most people are pretty good about it. You know, they just, you know, they, it's a, uh, you know, it's a big deal. They get to be on the show, so uh, they, they really yeah. appreciate being on the show to begin with.
2: So I, another question I've been itching to ask for a long time: Have you ever been really burned by something where you 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 invested a lot of money, whatever it may be, some document, an autograph, um, some antique? And you guys swore it was real. Someone told you it was real. You, you you had it verified, whatever it may be. And then you find out later it's a fake. And then you're stuck with this thing. I mean, I got to assume in the years you've been in business that this had to have oh, no, happened no, a happened. couple it's times.
1: It's part of the nature of the business. I mean, no guts, no glory. You know, yeah. and um, so there's been a few times it's been burned. There's been um, like when you know, like pawn shops in Vegas are so un, are massively regulated. I mean, when you come in to sell me something, it's ID. I get your thumbprint. Um, I turned, um, all your information, uh, and in what you, uh, bought, I bought off you to the FBI and the, uh, and the Metro. And occasionally, you know, like some. I mean, like the most, you think this is the most legitimate person in the world. They saw, end up selling you know, stolen stuff. I mean, like one time I got burned $40,000 on a pair of earrings. You know, this guy's like camera and everything else.
2: Was it just that they were fake? Is that what it was? It was just fake. It wasn't, no, their the jewelry stolen. wasn't authentic. Oh, oh yeah. I yeah. Mean, yeah.
1: Yeah. I yeah. mean, um, and every once in a while I'll buy something and, um, you know, I think everything's right. And, uh, you know, I get burned, but like, like I said, it's part of the nature of the business. It's less than 1% of the business, but it happens. Yeah. Sometimes Rick, you just, gotta, I... you know, you just go with your gut.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I've noticed, like I said, I watch the show all the time. I sit there sometimes on weekends and just scroll through it on demand and you know, knock through like five, six episodes a day. One of my favorite episodes was the uh, the episode with the Hulk Hogan plushie thing. Well, I, uh-huh. I forget the story. Was, it was your son, was it? Was it Corey's or something like that? And and it, it you know, disappeared. I
1: like, uh, like had one of those dolls when he was a kid, and he loved <laughs> right. it to death. So when I uh, saw Hulk Hogan when I was uh, at this event in um, I Chicago, I got Hulk Hogan to sign it for him. Because when he was growing up, like you said, like the fake autographs. I like, uh when he was really young. I had like one of his press photos. And I just wrote to my Hulkster Corey on it, <laughs> and it was most prized possession. So we were he was like 16 years old, and he's taken off the wall and go like, "This is it a way. It's not real."
2: <laughs> well, I, and, and it was funny because I watched the the Hulkster there, and he was a fan of the show too. I mean he came up to you and he's like, Hey, I watch this show all the time and you look kinda you look kinda surprised. But you're a very recognizable guy. You probably get a you probably get approached everywhere now. It's probably hard to go out in public without people uh people looking for a selfie or something like that, I'd imagine, right? It's not as bad in Vegas,
1: but like everywhere else in the world it's crazy. I mean I've been mobbed in Kuala Lumpur.
2: Really? Oh Kuala Lumpur. Yeah. Well listen, uh, no, the show's popular. It's really weird about the show.
1: I mean like um, and it's one of the reasons why I'm filming season 19 right now. It, it translates very, very well. I mean, I'm in 150 countries, 38 languages. I mean, I used to be the number one show in all of South America. I think I'm number four after 19 seasons still down there. Yeah,
2: We're talking to and, Rick uh, Harrison, a host of Pawn Stars on the history channel. One of the uh, best shows on television. Seriously, folks, you will learn a lot. It's, it's, it's entertaining, but hugely educational at the same time. Uh, Rick, you're, it says on. I was looking on the website. You guys are, are open twenty four hours. I mean, it is Vegas, right? Do you yep. do you get some strange stuff at like three thirty in the morning? Where you know, guy comes uh, in, he's like, "Ah, yeah. I've had enough uh, of this Rolex. Here, you, well, no, you want I mean, this?" I was
1: the first twenty four hour. I was the first twenty four hour pawn shop in the United States. Oh, really? Um, um. Yeah. So uh, when I got my pawn license way back in the day, which is a completely different story, but um, right. I uh, figured, yeah, I'll be open twenty four hours a day. I've got to make money and. Uh, there's a bunch of other pawn shops in Vegas that are open now. So basically I have a bank teller window at night and people come in all night long and, um, cause they don't want the party dead. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah Rick listen next time I come out I would love to stop I'll buy something there you go I'll be like I promise I won't if if they're filming I promise I won't wave and the lasers won't have to burn my retinas out so I'd love to stop by Rick thanks for coming on the show I appreciate you taking the time it's a great show I highly recommend to the audience you check it out you will not be disappointed so entertaining educational too thanks for taking the time Rick
1: thanks for having me have a good one you
2: got it buddy you too that was rick harrison folks from uh, pawn stars on the history channel i promise you you will not be disappointed if you check it out you will learn so much a little bit of history it's funny just a great show that was rick harrison from pawn stars Who was on the radio show a couple weeks ago we got a great interview coming up with dr stephen quay a stunning interview a virologist with some experience at the wuhan lab and a virus they found in there That has an 80% lethality rate. Yes, I didn't say that wrong. This is the one interview that stopped the entire show. Jim, Mike, Gee, and I all listened to this. Like, did he just say that? This past week, we had one of the best guests we've ever had, Dr. Stephen Quay. All right, welcome back to the show. I don't want to waste any time. I've got a guest I've been looking forward to having on for a while now, since I heard his interview a week ago. I want to welcome to the show, Dr. Stephen Quay. Doctor, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it.
3: Oh, it's great to be here, Dan. Uh, Thank you for having me.
2: Sure. So, doctor, I watched your interview with rapt attention on Martha McCallum. Uh, You apparently have some experience with the Wuhan lab, have written about it. I read your op-ed in the Wall Street Journal. And there were a couple of things you had said in the interview. One of them you had mentioned is that there was some evidence of either fragments and correct me if I'm wrong, or sequences of other viruses in one of these labs. And one of them was a virus called Nipah, which when I looked it up, I was... Pretty frightened. I mean, I don't do you know fear porn like some other outlets. I like honesty and science, but that sounds kind of worrisome to me. Why would this Wuhan lab have have a deadly virus like that? And why would would they be manipulating it? And could that affect us here?
3: Uh, yes, unfortunately, everything you said is correct. So um, this, they're the Wuhan Institute of Virology, not you know not coronaviruses. So. Um, yes, what we found was that in December 2019 samples from patients got sent from a hospital in Wuhan to the Wuhan Institute of Virology and put on a machine to sequence what viruses the patients had. These machines can get contaminated, however, with background work that's going on in the laboratory. We identified that the NEPA virus is being manipulated through a process called synthetic biology, uh, in the laboratory right now. This is where SARS-CoV-2 was probably two years in 2018, 2019. So this is very serious um, because uh, you know, as you, as you know, um, this virus is uh, 80 to 90 percent lethal, as opposed to the 1 1 percent plus or minus that SARS-CoV-2 is. So we really need to stop this activity now and and get. Congress and whatever group is, you know, can get behind this to stop this.
2: We're talking to Dr. Stephen Quay. Uh, doctor, I, I really wish people, would, now we're on in Washington, D.C. on a rather large station. I really hope people are listening. I mean, this sounds like a legitimate potential national security crisis. It's not that we don't have evidence right in front of us of another potential lab leak you looked at, uh, wrote about, excuse me, uh, from, from this lab in the region of the coronavirus you 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 read uh, you wrote in your paper i just want to get back to neep in a second but i read your op-ed in the wall street journal and you had indicated that there's very little evidence if any evidence at all that this had a zoonotic natural origin that it's pretty clear right now that the evidence is all lining up behind a lab leak hypothesis um what do you base that on
3: okay so let's let's understand this so these processes always have three elements there's an animal that's infected with a virus, and then that virus infects a human. So let's talk about each of those separately. Animal, virus, human. With respect to animals, they, they looked at 80,000 animals in China, uh, including over 5,000 in Wuhan itself, zero SARS-CoV-2. You look at the virus, um, the, 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 the hallmark of a natural spillover is diversity. So in lots of animals, we found zero out of 80,000. The virus is also diverse. So in SARS-1 in 2003 or in MERS in the Middle East in 2014, when the virus came to humans, it had about 30 mistakes. So every patient got a slightly different virus because it had been circulating in animals for years. This virus was pure. The first 39 patients had exactly the same virus. That's that's like a vaccine, Dan, right? The vaccines are identical all over all over America, all over the world. That's a man made process. So the virus checks the box on lab origin. And with respect to people, in a, in a in a natural spillover, about four percent of the population is infected with a virus that's not quite good enough to cause human to human spread. The way you test for that is blood samples in the refrigerator after the epidemic happens, you get, a, you get a test, you go back to your stored samples, and you find 4%. China went back to 10,000 samples, and they found zero pre-epidemic infection. So no virus in nature. The virus is genetically pure. No practice jumps. Those are the three hallmarks of a, of a spillover, and it didn't check any of those boxes.
2: Talking to Doctor Stephen Quay, this is um, very, very troubling information. Now, the the evidence you saw of uh, some contamination with fragments and sequences, and I read your paper from uh, uh, of, of Nipa. It's N I P A H, folks. If you'd like to look it up yourself, the lethality of this obviously is very high. I read anywhere from fifty to eighty plus percent. Um, now, now, Doctor, this is a uh, what I what I believe. Again, I'm relying on your expertise. Certainly not mine. Uh, a direct contact virus. is not a respiratory virus. Uh, from from what I know but if this were to escape a lab uh, whether deliberately or by accident how does this how how would you get it I mean I mean we obviously know coronavirus passes through the respiratory tract and is very efficient at infecting human beings and human to human transmission but how would a manipulated NEPA virus if it escaped how would that spread
3: Well, Dan, this is, this is again where, where we really need to focus because one of the, one of the things you can do in a process called gain of function is you can teach a virus to become respiratory. That's not. Um, and so this is, this is what started the moratorium on gain of function was when someone took an influenza that was highly lethal but was not airborne and made it airborne. So um, I, I was, there was no evidence that that, pro, that process was going on. The evidence was that the Nipah virus was being taken apart. Pieces were being moved around. Um, and, and this is exactly what, what we believe happened with SARS-CoV-2. So, um, I, I, I mean, it's sort of a worst-case scenario.
2: Yeah, I, I, it's, a, it's a terrifying scenario. And, you know, we pride ourselves on this show of, of, of sticking with the facts and the data because, you know, panic kills. That was an expression we had in the Secret Service. Panic, it does. But this is really serious. I mean, this is science. This is an actual virus. It's not a conspiracy theory. It actually exists. Um, and then I was, I was reading a story out of the BBC that even with natural infections, that the lethality of this is unusually high. Now, if you were to, say, make this a respiratory virus through uh, manipulating it and gain of function... And you're looking at an 80% lethality rate. Uh, does the 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 R-naught and the contagiousness of that actually limit it? I, I, again, I'm relying on your expertise because a f- doctor friend of mine had told me that lethality can sometimes, ironically, be a virus's worst enemy as well because it kills the hosts so quickly. But throwing a curveball at you, Doc, I had heard in the article that the, the the latency period from infection to symptoms can be upwards of 45 days. So you may not die in that time and spread it to a whole bunch of people. NEPA, that is. that was a lot there, but take it piece by piece if you want.
3: Yeah, Dan. I mean, I, I, again, I, I think it's, I think it's really good not to get ahead of ourselves. What we found is that they're working on the NEPA virus. It's a highly highly lethal virus whether they could make it worse, whether they could make it more spreadable. Those are that would, that, you know, that I have no evidence for that. All I have is evidence that they're taking this 15,000, this 15,000 letter virus apart. They're moving it around with the tools of synthetic biology. Um, that, you know, we do we we do that at level four in the U.S. This, I guess this is another aspect of it, Dan, we really need to focus on this. So that work could be done perhaps safely at level four in the U.S., but these are in patient samples. So this was, is this was level two or level three in the Wuhan laboratory. So it's it just it's it's kind of a nightmare, um, but 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 it, but it may not be it may not be a pandemic nightmare. But what, what we need to do is have people focus on the fact that this did happen with SARS-CoV-2 and the work is still going on with other viruses that are as lethal or on paper look more lethal. I think that's the that's the take home.
2: Now, I understand we're talking to Dr. Stephen Quay. Um... Doc, I'll, I'll leave you in a couple seconds. I just got a couple more questions for you. But uh, regarding the, well, the lab leak hypothesis, which now looks to be likely, not just a, a, a hypothesis, uh, I was doing a lot of reading about this double CGG codon and this furin cleavage site and how these things, although possible in nature, certainly, you know, the absence of evidence or the evidence of absence doesn't mean the absence, you know, absence of evidence doesn't mean the evidence of absence uh, could happen. We haven't seen it yet this double CGG codon and this, uh, this furin cleavage site type thing, indicating that this was somehow man-made. Um, can you comment on that? And what does this furin cleavage site do? Why is it, why does everybody keep writing about it?
3: Yeah. So first let's just imagine, cause we, you know, we're not together. We can't draw pictures. <laughs> you know, I'm a napkin, right. but so we've established <clears throat> that it, it, it has the, the three hallmarks of a lab-acquired infection. So then you then you go to the, the decision tree. Is it a natural virus that escaped or a laboratory-manipulated virus that escaped? The, the key to this virus having killed, you know, 5 million people and infected the entire planet is something called the furin cleavage site. That little ball that we, we know that's on top of the virus called the spike protein. We're all familiar now with this little spiky thing sticking out of it. Uh-huh. It gets uh, clipped by, uh, by uh, an enzyme, by a, by a scissors in your own cell that prepares the virus for entering the cell quickly. And most viruses don't have this. Most viruses, um, uh, well, let me say it another way. I misspoke. Most viruses clip their spike when they go into the cell. So they have to do two things. They have to attach to the cell, get their spike clipped with an enzyme, and then they can infect. Because of the furin cleavage site, SARS-CoV-2 leaves the cell after, you know, after it's infected and comes out of the cell to go to new cells, already cleaved. So it's already done one of the two steps it needs. Now it just needs to find a cell to bind to at this thing called the ACE2, and then it can immediately infect. So this site is the thing that makes it so, so uh, infective, and it, it hasn't occurred in this group of viruses, the, the, what are called the sarvicoviruses, I'm sorry, these big science words, but anyway, the, the group sorry. so the, COVID-2 belongs to evolved, broke away from other beta coronaviruses in about 1160, uh, about 1060, about 1080, when, when when William was crossing the channel to take over England. So over a thousand years ago, there has not been a furin site in this class in a thousand years. Um, they occur in other classes, uh, that are that are highly le- lethal, but not in not in this particular class. We now know through through a whistleblower that a grant application to DARPA was made by this group of scientists we've talked about. Wu and his DASEC at a place called EcoHealth in New York City, in 2018 these folks asked DARPA permission to put furin cleavage sites in coronaviruses. They wanted 14 million dollars to do this research. So you've got the combination of it's never appeared in nature in a thousand years. In 2018, these folks were proposing to do it. Um, as I talked to one of my buddies who was in Vietnam, you know, I'm I'm of that era there. I said, look, this 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 virus this, this particular research structure was too dangerous for the folks that made Agent Orange way back when. Right. Uh, so right. they did not fund it, but it doesn't mean doesn't mean they didn't do the work. So, right, right. You, so you have the furin cleavage site that's never been found in nature. Um, you, you, you then find uh, the spike protein was highly optimized uh, for for infecting humans. SARS-1 only had 17% of the changes it needed to support human-to-human transfer. This had 995 um, and finally, George Church, who's sort of the godfather of biology at Harvard University, was the one who discovered that many of the spike proteins are what are called humanized, which means they, they they don't make good antibodies. I mean, we're seeing this with vaccines, right? The vaccine is not as good as you might want it to be. And this is a process that only happens after decades and decades of human contact in the world or you can create it in a laboratory. You can, you can humanize oh, a yeah. virus in the laboratory by passing it on humanized mice. So these three attributes are all uh, you know piling up, and I just don't believe in coincidences.
2: Uh, doctor, thank you so much for your time. I have to run you a welcome back here anytime. Fascinating interview. Thank you for your time. We appreciate it.
3: No problem, Dan. Take care.
2: You got it, folks. Folks, that was Dr. Stephen Quay. We'll be right back. Those were incredible insights from Dr. Stephen Quay. The Nipah virus. N-I-P-A-H. Keep your eyes on that one. Okay, up next, we talk with Matt Walsh from the Daily Wire about the woke mob. He's great on this topic and the culture wars and how the media are teaming up to destroy people's lives. We discuss the firing of Raiders head coach John Gruden and a horrible story in Loudoun County where a father was arrested trying to try and get answers about a, a boy in a dress who's alleged to have sexually assaulted his daughter. This case is really troubling. It was up at the Daily Wire. Check this out. Yeah, here he is, all right. Hour two. Our guest segment, we only hold for the best in the business. One of them, Matt Walsh from the Daily Wire. Welcome back to the to the show. Thanks for taking the time with us today. We appreciate
4: it. Hey, Dan. Thanks for having me again.
2: Yeah, you got it. So, Matt, this uh, situation with John Gruden, the Las Vegas Raiders coach, you know, is this the new standard? You're one of the best commentators out there on the ongoing culture war against us, which we didn't ask for, by the way. I mean, is this the new standard? You send an email ten years ago with some, you know, crappy language in it. Uh, I mean, really, if all of us had our emails from the last ten years disclosed publicly, I mean, we'd all be fired. And 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 part two of the question, if I may, is uh, you know, they have Eminem Matt performing at the halftime of the of the Super Bowl show. What what do you what do you think his emails? say? <laughs>
4: Yeah, well, we, and Eminem. We don't have to look at his emails, and we can just look right. at the lyrics, the uh, songs he's performed for the public I and mean, millions of dollars. And same for you know, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg. They're all performing, and they're going to they're going to perform some of those very songs where they use the language that, that John Gruden just got fired for using. And that's why I mean I agree with you. I mean, look, any any of the people who are pretending to be offended by John Gruden's emails, I would encourage any of them. I challenge any of them to just publish their Gmail password and let us comb through it. We'll keep it ten years. We won't go back farther than that. I promise but let us look through 10 years of messages and give us your text messages too. have you, have you never in 10 years said one message, send one message with like offensive uh, content to, it? of course that's not the case. And that's what we have to understand what's happening here with John Gruden is that what the, th- th- this is a, this is prosecuting by mob tribunal, a thought crime this is a, the, the, he, the, the problem is the thought that he expressed. It's, it's, it's almost no different. Like if the, if the cancel mob had the ability the technology to actually literally read your mind, they would eagerly do it and they would cancel you for, for things you haven't even said out loud. There's only one step removed from that and canceling someone for a private email sent from their private email account to a friend um, who was not offended by it. I mean, it's, it's the, it's the definition of a victimless crime because no one else knew about it. The person that he's talking to is a friend. No one's offended. No one's hurt. No one's feelings are even hurt. Um, so who, what's what's the problem? Who's harmed by it? Well, the problem is just that now they've discovered that he thinks this way and so we're going to take him down for it. And I think really you talked about the you know the uh, disparity by how, between how people are treated. I mean, in the NFL we've also got you know like Tyreek Hill is a wide receiver for the Kansas City Chiefs, getting paid a lot of money. He played guilty to assaulting his pregnant girlfriend, choking and choking and punching her, and he's still playing. So how do you work all this out? Well, it's because The thought crimes are prosecuted, not just based on the thought, but also based on your identity and your ideology. And so the real crime that John Gruden committed, as far as they're concerned, yeah, he used the the language and the vulgarities. But also in those emails, apparently he made comments about Joe Biden. He said that people that protest the anthem should be fired, which most normal people agree with that part. Um, So that's really it. I think that's what they noticed. And they said, "Oh, okay. well, he's one of them confirmed. uh, And also he's a white guy. So so he's gone
2: yeah it is it is stunning matt we're talking to matt walsh a host of the matt walsh show available uh, as a podcast he's with the daily wire the show is uh terrific and and very very highly recommended uh, matt this sets up an an obviously unrealistic standard i mean we as human beings you know we're sinners we we are there are, it almost sounds ridiculous to even say because it it's so self-evident but none of us are perfect we're not even close to perfect i mean even the most uh, you know, morally upstanding individuals, you know, are going to have, you know, constant and consistent shortcomings. We all know this. I mean, this is not hard. It's it's nothing dramatic. I just said it's it's factually accurate. Everybody knows it. So you're setting up a standard that literally not figuratively, not a single soul on planet Earth can live up to. And it's just it's this collective fiction on the left, though, that we should live up to a standard. That not one person, even on the left, lives up to. I mean, it's almost like a mass delusion.
4: Yeah, and there's no, of course, there's no, there's no grace at all. There's no forgiveness. That's why there's no point in. I, I, that's why I've been saying for so long. If, if the cancel mob comes after you, I don't care what you did. Uh, there's, don't apologize. And again, I don't care what it was. Don't apologize for two reasons. Number one, um, they're they're not forgiveness isn't on the table. They're not interested in that. And number two, you don't owe them an apology. I mean, take John Cruden, for example. No one was harmed. No one else was involved in this. It's none of your business. Like, you, you weren't harmed by it. Um, so you don't owe an apology to people who were If you actually harmed, you did something and really harmed someone, then go find them and apologize to them. You don't have to apologize to some of a public, public spectacle. Um, so there's, there's no reason for that. that that's why. Well, why, why even bother with the apology? But we know that it's not, that's not what it's about. It's not about forgiveness. And uh, we know that the rules again, change depending on, you know, your ideology, your identity. And so really the point for canceling someone like John Gruden or, any, or anybody else who they cancel, uh, it's it's not even about them specifically. It's partly about them, but it's also about the rest of us. It. It's, it's a warning to the rest of us. So what, what the cancel mob is saying to the rest of us is, uh, is well, you're next. Like these thoughts are not allowed if you're in this category ideologically and uh and so this is what we do to people like that and we're going to get you next i think that's kind of what it is it's a warning to everybody else
2: yeah matt i think that's great advice we're going to matt walsh host of the matt walsh show it's a terrific podcast again highly recommended i agree with you matt um th- they don't want an apology, and you offering one just serves as a simple sign of subjugation. And it's almost like, reminds me of the Jerry Maguire, you know, Jerry, bees and dogs smell fear. You know, the left smells fear. There's nothing good that's going to come out of it. You know, say an act of contrition, go to confession, talk to your priest, your rabbi, your imam, whoever it may be, but the public apology does nothing. It's like you said, it's like offering a ransom to people who aren't interested in the money. They're like, no, no, we don't want it. Like, keep the money. We're still keeping the hostage. So I agree with you. Now, Matt, I just want to switch topics. You have been heavily involved in this fight against CRT, uh, Virginia resident, which is great. Virginia, I'm sure, loves uh, loves having you. But that fight in Loudoun County's got ugly. The Daily Wire had a story up today uh, that just is, I mean, beyond disturbing. I mean, it's like savagery. So there's his father whose uh, daughter was attacked and sexually assaulted. And then some of these bureaucrats start going after the dad because he spoke out against some of this uh, this uh, transgender ideology being pushed. Out. So the story is just hard to believe. Uh, I know you saw it. Your, your thoughts on that?
4: Yeah, this was while Loudoun County School District was trying to push this policy of opening the bathrooms up and letting the boys into the girls' room. And while that was happening, while this fight was happening, uh, there was a case, allegedly, where a uh, where a boy went into a girl's bathroom and raped a girl. And he's been charged. He's been charged with it. Uh, and the school, you know, it, it, the, the crime is horrible. And then and then it's always in these situations, you have the institutional cover up. And so apparently what happened is that they, you know, they told the father, we want to keep this in house. And um, the father was understandably upset. And I think one of the worst, the most despicable things on the part of the school and the school system is the, way, is the way that they've tarnished this man who, I mean, like any, anyone who's a father, I, I have a daughter. If this were to happen to my daughter, I, I can't even imagine what my reaction would be. And to lash out and be angry and yell, that's, that's like the least of what would be justified. And he goes to really? the school board meeting, and, he gets, and he's very upset, obviously, because this happened to his daughter, and he's speaking out against these policies. And there's a little, there's a, a minor altercation that, that happens involving him. No one is, like, injured, seriously injured or anything. And, yeah. um they take that as, you know, this is one of their prime examples now of alleged violence at school board meetings. It's one of the only times where there's anything that could rem- remotely be called violent, even though, again, it was just a minor scuffle. And they're using that as an example to to not only tarnish him, but everybody, all other parents and say, well, they're all a bunch of domestic terrorists. That's why we need to get the FBI involved without, without, without letting anyone know the rest of the story. Here's why he was so upset. And also the, that school board, they claimed that um, prior to passing this policy, there had been no assaults of, of girls in bathrooms. So it's all, uh, you know, it's a non-issue, knowing that that is, is allegedly not the case at all. Uh, this is just, it, 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 we have to understand if you send your kid to public school, so many of the people running the system, they just, they don't care at all about your kid. They don't care about their safety. They don't even care about educating them. I mean, these, these, are, these are dyed-in-the-wool leftist ideologues, and that's, that's the only thing they care about and they're willing to sacrifice your kids on that altar. And uh, you really got to deal with that and realize that if you're sending your kid to these systems.
2: We're talking to Matt Walsh, host of the Matt Walsh Show. It's a podcast available at The Daily Wire. And hat tip, Luke Rosiak, who wrote that piece at The Daily Wire. Folks, the story is uh, is stunning. It really is. You should read it. You know, Matt, last question. I appreciate your time. I always thank you for coming on. You know, really, you're a very astute commentator on the cultural situation. I always turn the volume up when you're on TV or elsewhere. and um. I mean, just a general question. I'm genuinely concerned. It seems to me, I know there's natural kind of vicissitudes and ups and downs and, you know, the dark ages followed by the, you know, cultural revolutions afterwards and the enlightenment and things like that. And there are longer macro cycles. But I feel like we're really, we're cratering fast. And like everything we thought to be truce is collapsing all at once. I mean, the left is attacking simple things like human biology. And you're seeing the mass delusion. Do you sense that there's a renaissance coming soon Uh, or or are we really, at least in our lifetimes, just destined to be a part of this just decline of the culture in the United States and the decline of reason?
4: I mean, it's hard for me to see uh, the entire culture together, you know, turning a sudden page and embracing the truth again. Uh, But because I I do think that there is a, a real chasm now in this country that is that it's not hyperbole to say it's deeper than it's ever been, including the Civil War because we, we just have the two sides have absolutely nothing in common at all. Have absolutely have, have no shared values or belief systems at all, period. They can't even agree on like what a man and a woman is. That's how deep right. it goes. So I, I don't, there's nothing that's going to erase that. And there's no bridge that can be built across it right now. But, the, but what we can do is we can come together as communities and families. That's why I'm a big advocate of things like homeschool. We talk about the public school system. I mean, you got to You, you got to take hold of your own family and your own community first. Uh, and it's great what people are doing in, in the, the school boards. So start there. And if there's any hope, I think it starts there on the real local level.
2: Yeah, I agree. It's that, you know, Jordan, Jordan Peterson, you know, make your own bed first. So, Matt, uh, thanks a lot for coming on. I always appreciate your time. We'll be sure to promote your podcast after you hang up. So thanks a lot. I appreciate it.
4: Appreciate it. Thank you.
2: You got it, folks. That was Matt Walsh host of the Matt Walsh show podcast available on the daily wire. Again, one of the best commentators out there on cultural issues of the day, Uh, check him out and check out that story at the daily wire about that parent by Luke Rosiak. It is, uh, I, you know, I, it is not an overstating it at all to say it's a shocker. What's going on in Loudoun County, Virginia, with this CRT and indoctrination nonsense. That was our interview with Matt Walsh from the radio show last week. You can hear me every day. Every weekday across the country and over 300 radio stations, go to Bongino.com and click on Station Finder and find out where we're on near you. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed this weekend show. I'm Dan Bongino. See you on Monday. You just heard Dan Bongino.